What are the different ways people could invest in real estate, let's say, because there's within their retirement account? Yeah. So for a little bit of context, the IRA accounts, there's a general average uh, like account size of just above $100,000. So when you talk about buying um, a home or that you're going to rent or uh, an apartment that you're going to rent, you know, that really does kind of limit. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19-year-old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real-life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. Welcome to the Rise and Invest podcast. I'm your host, Drew Brenneman. With me today is Dan Hanlon, Senior Vice President at Midland Trust. Welcome, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me, Drew. Yeah, so Midland Trust, it's a leading custodial services provider focused on self-directed IRAs and other investment accounts for retirement. And Dan and I, we probably met, uh, or I described that right, or maybe want to yeah. clarify. Or... No, that you nailed yeah. it. Yeah, great. Yeah, then I think Dan and I, we met maybe like seven or so years ago uh, at a real estate networking event. I uh, hadn't heard about this before and then went out to lunch and I opened up an in the, in account the there, moved some funds there, invested in some real estate deals that a friend of mine was doing with my account. And that, that's how we've we've known each other for a while now. Um, then maybe let's, before we dive into it with with Dan too, just want to remind everybody if you could to like and subscribe or leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, that really helps the podcast get get out there and spread the word and get a bigger audience, get get bigger, bigger new new guests, different different things open up. So, anyways, with that out of the way, why don't maybe you want to anything I missed in the intro or no? Yeah, I think uh, I I. I was asked this morning how long I've known you. I said, I said uh, eight years, eight or ten years. So yeah, I know time I was, flies. Yeah, <laughs> I know that was. I know I had someone else on here. It was like, yeah, I think it was like ten years ago. He was like shocked. He was like, what? Yeah. So, but it's like, yeah, we're not. Uh, you know, that's we're getting we're getting older. Yeah. Talking about kids before we started recording. So, but nice. Yeah, I think let's just start sort of basic then and just work our way up. So then for those of us, the people listening that don't know mm-hmm. what what's an IRA. Yeah. So an IRA is uh, and it actually stands for individual retirement arrangement. It, but what they are is a uh, it's either a um, well, there's a couple of different versions of them or, or types, um, but the two most common are a traditional IRA, which is a tax deferred account and a Roth IRA, which is a post tax account. And there are accounts that are meant for you to um, supplement your retirement, um, and you can contribute to them on an annual basis. And each account has uh, contribution limits. Um, some of those are based by age and by account type. Um, and I think what most people use IRAs for is when they've left a job where they have a 401k or a 403b or some sort of retirement plan that was offered at the place that they had the employment. They do what's called a rollover, and they um, they don't take the money out of the retirement world, which would be taxable. They roll it into an IRA account, and the main difference there is once it's in an IRA, the individual has discretion over what it invests into, who they hold that account with, 
um, and so on and so forth. So it's a it's a an arrangement that the account holder makes um, with the custodian in the IRS um, that there's like uh, some rules that they have to follow, but it's a retirement account. That's interesting. So that's actually the most common way people fund IRAs is the converting like a 401k or. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a, you know, an IRA, I've, I think that people do um, supplement their IRA with an annual contribution, but uh, annual contributions, um, they change by year, but they range, you know, between uh, six and seven thousand dollars on a on an annual basis. So in order to get like a huge sum of money in there, you would have either had to start early and staying like diligent with making sure that you made those contributions. Um, but rolling over from an employer plan, such as a 401k that allows for higher contributions on an annual basis, plus an employer sometimes matches or oftentimes matches, um, you're able to take your sum and put it into an IRA. That's interesting. Yeah, I've, I really, I didn't have a, a job for long, so I never got a uh, a 401k built up at an em employer, but I did, I think I told you about my IRA, but just kind of, so my experience. And so I really liked, the, uh, you know, the, the Midland product and being able to control your own destiny with investments. I mean, when I opened my IRA, I was 16 and really the only way I could figure out how to do it. And this was what, probably like 2002. So it wasn't, you know, it there was online investing, I guess that was uh, you know, E-Trade was running all those commercials with Shannon Sharp yeah. and whatnot a couple years earlier. Um, but, you know, the only way I could figure out how to do it was through the bank. And then what they offered was not not once I'm smarter, wasn't a good product. I mean, it was a loaded mutual fund. So just to get in, I had to pay a 5.75% commission. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the actual the actual mutual fund that we were I put my money in was a good one, but it was you know, you're paying this fee kind of, you know, for, for nothing really where, you know, now as the, uh, industries expanded or improved, like you can just be in a no load mutual fund or invest in, you know, basically almost whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that, but you know, with, if you have a self-directed IRA, so. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, one of the things that you met, you mentioned, you set up a IRA at 16. Um, there's really, um, there's not an age restriction on when you set up. So you don't have to be 18. Uh, I think I set up my first account, a Roth IRA at 17, like you, all you have to do is have earned income in order to make the contribution. Um, and I set mine up with ING. You remember those guys? Yeah. ING. Yeah. So, um, and I, you, you put money in and, um, me not knowing anything. I, I didn't even invest it. Didn't even do anything with it. It was just in there. But, um, but yeah, if you start early, it's able to to grow it a little bit more. But uh, but yeah, there's no age restriction. Oftentimes, we'll see um, clients set up Roth IRAs for their kids that have summer jobs, and they're able to contribute up to however much they make in that summer job. Um, it, it's, it's a good way to get people to start saving and saving early. Yeah, I've I've heard that strategy as well. People, yeah. you know, if you have a business, they employ their kids and do all these things that you know you might even want to check with your accountant on yeah but, um yeah that's that's interesting yeah i had an ing savings account actually when i in high school and i had this goal where when i had uh my internet business i really wanted to get to ten thousand dollars of savings because i think this is just from memory now the interest rate was like four percent so then that was going to be roughly five hundred dollars a year you know, passive income. So I was like, yeah. you know, interest income. So I was like, so that's interesting you mentioned that I should have opened up my 
I went down I, a, at ING then. Yeah, I went down like a deep, dark path uh, two weeks ago trying to find out what the interest rates were back in tw- 2005 or whenever. <laughs> yeah, it would have been around what I was. Uh, that would have been a few years. That would have been like 2000. Yeah. And, one to 2004 ish yeah but that's yeah i remember because there was some round number i was shooting for yeah. so um, that's from totally from memory so yeah. that could be way off could have been six percent or something but yeah rates were rates were higher but yeah i guess what so big differences between a roth and a traditional in most of this you can just look up so i guess actually i think maybe one thing touch on that we mentioned before we turned the mics yeah. on was the minimum distributions and those maybe mention that yeah, a couple of just like key differences between a Roth and a and a traditional. So one is the traditional is most common, and it's most common um, for two reasons. One is most four hundred one ks or employer sponsored plans are tax deferred, meaning that when you put money in, it's taken off of your annual income. You get like the instant benefit of a tax deduction. Um, so most of those plans are that for that reason. And then the other reason is most accountants will suggest contributing to a traditional IRA or some sort of traditional plan on an annual basis come tax time as, as a way to lower your, your any type of tax liability that you might own. So those are most com- common. I guess the third reason why they're most common is not everyone is able to contribute directly to a Roth IRA. So if you're a high earner, um, you know, again, these are things that you can look up on on the web or talk to your accountant to find out what the criteria is. But if you're a high earner, um, there's an income restriction to be able to make a contribution to a Roth IRA. Um, one of the interesting things, though, however, is that uh, they've lifted. Uh, it's dating back, I think, 10 years ago. They lifted the um, income restrictions on conversions. Um, so really anyone, uh, no matter the income can get into a Roth IRA. They call that the, the backdoor Roth IRA where you can contribute, where you put money into a traditional and then you convert it into a Roth. Um, so depending on, as we speak in 2022, that's still a a thing you're able to do that could change, uh, depending on when you listen or watch this. So, um, but then the, another major difference for a Roth, um, versus a traditional is in a traditional IRA at 72 years old, you have to start withdrawing money from the plan. In other words, the IRS says there's enough tax deferral going on in this account. You need to start winding it down um, as you reach the end of your lifetime or expected lifetime, I should say. Um, In a Roth IRA account, there's no required minimum distributions. Um, I I guess another difference as I'm going down the the path here is uh, contributions if you're in a traditional type plan um and once you reach that 72 the age of required minimum distributions in a traditional account you're no longer able to contribute to it um in a roth ira you can can still contribute as long as you have the earned income so yeah some major differences there nice yeah i think with the uh for when we were getting going you're asking do you want to mention the uh uh, RMDs. Do, do you think your listeners would like tax loopholes? And I was like, that's what. It's <laughs> a lot of real estate investors listening in this. So we definitely like, like yeah. loopholes and ways to save on taxes. Yeah, yeah. It's been interesting. Yeah, being in in real estate, where some years, I mean, you get so many deductions being a real estate investor. Like some years, I couldn't invest in a Roth because I had no no taxable income. Yeah. Even though we were making money on every deal, but you get so many write offs. Um, so I know what you mean personally because you got to be. You got to make more than what you're going to contribute if you want to do a, a Roth. And then 
be under that like income limit. So you got to yeah. thread the needle. I've only invested in a Roth. So I don't, I'm not, yeah. Um, I just starting early and yeah. like that, like the, uh, the deferral or yeah. the, the tax free forever. So, but then, yeah, what other kind of retirement accounts would someone have then? Yeah. So the, I think the most common, re- uh, retirement account, uh, is a 401k account and a 401k is a, and it's an employer plan. So it's a, it's a benefit that your employer sets up and offers to employees and they get some, uh, some incentive for doing that. Um, so a 401k is an employer plan. Now, if you're still working for the company that is offering you the 401k, the chances are you're not able to take that money while you're still active in the plan and roll it into an IRA account. But once you terminate employment, or if there's any key trigger dates that you would want to check with your employer, you may be able to take some money over into a, um, into an IRA account. Um, uh, SEP IRAs are, it's a, it's a short for a simplified employee pension, but those are IRA accounts or employee employer plans. I should say that a self-employed individual or someone that is, has just them and a partner, um, sets up where you can contribute um, 25% of your earned income up to about $54,000. So those are uh, plans where you're able to really stimulate your your growth. Um, uh, and then I see mentioned ESAs, um, educational savings accounts, and HSA accounts, health savings accounts can both be self-directed um, with a company like Midland. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and that I think then too, so if someone, let's say they, they worked, they're currently working a job or they did, and they want to start making these kind of investments where it's not just the stock market and mm-hmm. other things that we'll get into, the, the best way to do that would be can just convert it to an IRA of your choosing, or you can keep it in a 401k and do this, or what, what do you recommend? The reason, so a self-directed IRA, I'll, I'll get that out of the way if anyone has a confusion. A self-directed IRA is not a type of account. Um, oddly enough, the number one question that we get on our new account setup process is that they don't see self-directed IRA listed on our application. And I think that we sent them the wrong link. Um, but a self-directed IRA could be a traditional, a Roth. It's not a type of account in and of itself. Um, the need for a company like Midland to open a self-directed IRA is really where you're going to reach barriers with your current provider. So if you have an account at a, at a large bank or a 401k provider, they're not going to allow you most likely to invest into real estate, not because you're not allowed, but because you're not allowed with them. Um, so in the 401k world, if you're still with your employer and you're with one of the big companies that's administering that plan, chances are they're not going to allow you to do that. Um, Midland allows a, um, has a product where we can just do the third party administration and keep that, those assets in the, 401k if you'd like. Um, and there's some benefits or some tax benefits that sometimes come up in real estate where it can be more, um, it can be better from a tax perspective to invest into real estate in a 401k versus an IRA account. Um, so you could do it in a 401k if it's, if you're leaving employer and you're self-employed, you could look at setting up an individual 401k, which is essentially just a 401k for me, I'm self-employed. I, I am the employee and the, and the employer, and you have discretion over what you invest into and that, that type of plan. But the most common thing that happens is someone leaves an employer, 
they roll their money over into a traditional IRA account and that traditional IRA allows them to invest into real estate. So nice. Yeah. And there's a lot to, to unpack there. So I'll, I'll try to add to it. Yeah. So then the, you can, you can do either one invest from a 401k or an IRA Mm -hmm. through a company like Midland in, in non, we'll call it in like non-traditional investments. Correct. Yeah, we can hold both. I would just caution that if you're still working for the, let's say I work, uh, just work at a large company that has a 401k. I've worked there for 10 years and I have a, uh, a significant balance in my 401k. If I'm still working there, then chances are I'm not able to use that money to invest, um, based on restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I always have my <laughs> self-employed cap on so yeah. i'm thinking this is my individual solo 401k kind yeah. of thing but that yeah so then one thing that uh yeah so that that makes a lot of sense and because i have uh set up i've invested in uh real estate through my ira then also later on i set up a solo 401k and not and i i didn't go it didn't go through a company like midland what i did i set it up just independently with like uh like a 401k administrator Mm -hmm. and that it just had a checkbook like it's just a checking account for it um and so it it sort of served the same purpose but it was so much work to do where i don't um it it's was worth it for me and i was okay learning like a ton of stuff but it was it was a lot of work and Mm -hmm. would have been easier to probably just run through a thing like like does that be able to (laughs) have because investing one with the ira i used midland and then that was uh, it was is simple where you have a question there's a person to talk to and you um you know you send your actually you should walk through that was probably yeah uh, five years ago i did that so i have let's say you have an ira and now i want you want to invest in let's just pick a a real estate deal i'm investing in a project i'm gonna put fifty thousand in what do what are what are the steps to actually get that money in yeah yeah, I'll point out just real quickly, just for context here, um, in the 401k world, if you have a 401k, given that it's an employer plan, um, the rules allow um, an individual to self-administer the plan. Like they can act as their own trustee and they can handle the books. Um, they can do everything themselves. Um, a lot of times people find out that that's much more of a burden than they signed up for yeah, it which was, it why was they, a bit of work yeah but, and so we offer both types of like administration so they can there uh we can we can assist um with both types there um in the ira space um it's designated that you have to have a custodian and administrator and this is someone that is the go-between between the account holder and these funds um since they're tax deferred there has to be this go-between um, Midland's role in the IRA world is is that of the custodian and the administrator. And really what our goal is, is to take our knowledge and, you know, we do this every day. We're specialists. This is makes up the majority of our, our business. Um, we've been doing it for uh, 15, 20 years. We take our knowledge and help the person that's doing it for the first time or are new to this. And we try to make it easy. So what happens is if someone opens up an account with us, they let up, my department is in charge of just setting the client up for success, making sure that their account is set up, getting the uh, transfer going from an existing IRA or the rollover going. 
and then they tell us their plan. I want to invest into real estate. We help them gather the, the documents that, that are administratively needed in order to hold that. Uh, and then we actually do a lot of the pre-filling of our forms. Um, we know our forms better than someone that just opened an account with us. So we'll pre-fill them for you, send them over. All we're going to need for you is to review and sign and then give us a verbal authorization to release a wire transfer when the time comes. So it's a, a start to finish uh, process that usually takes about a week um, from, you know, from starting the account to when you're invested. And uh, again, our goal is just to cut out all the noise and say, you know, we're the experts here. Let us be your shepherd and guide you along the way. Right. So then just for, so let's say I have my, let's just to make it clear on the funds transfer. Cause yeah, the signing of the documents, you'll walk through everyone through that. There'll be forms to sign, I'm sure with Midland. And then on the actual, if there, there'll be contracts assigned for the investment you're making potentially. Mm-hmm. And then I think Midland signing those on your, your account's behalf. Yeah. Or, so one of the, the biggest difference between investing in an IRA um, and investing personally is who the investor is. If I make an investment, I would write my check out of my checking account. Uh, K-1s and tax documents would come to me. Returns would come into my personal account or to a check to me that I'd deposit. And then at the end of the year, I'd settle up if I owed any taxes or if there was write-offs that I was able to take to um, as an individual, when an IRA makes an investment, um, the account holder gives their custodian the authorization to make the investment, but it's the account. It's uh, it's like an LLC or another entity that's making the investment. It's their IRA, and the titling for any tax documents is using the EIN or the tax ID of the IRA account, and then any distributions or dividends all go to the administrator to deposit into the account, and then at the end of the year. Um, there's really nothing to file um, from a tax perspective since IRAs don't file um, income taxes like an individual does. And uh, so that's really how it works. Yeah. And, and then the actual where I was trying where I'm trying to go is to like, how, how do I get the money out of my account into this investment? So I have a brokerage account at ah, Schwab. You. Well, I mean, you need to understand the whole process. Yeah. So that's what you're saying is is obviously needed too, but then we, I have this 50,000 in my account. Mm-hmm. How do I get it? Cause when I, when I, if I have the 401k on my own, that the way that worked was I, you can just, you just send it once you sign your yep. paperwork on your own. But then, uh, it's the same thing. I was signing on behalf of, I'm the trustee of the 401k. Yeah. And, um, but for this, I'm what's, I'm investing in my IRA. I've signed all the documents with Midland and then Midland signed all the documents to invest in the the deal yeah and now how do i get the money from my schwab account to the investment yeah so the money would uh, so if it's in an ira account um you'll f- within our application documents you'd fill out a transfer request form on our side and midland would coordinate and uh, using that example midland would coordinate the transfer of funds with schwab the only thing the uh the client or the investor would need to do is just make sure that sufficient cash was liquid over on the schwab side and we would pull however much the client requested of us. Um, once the money then reaches Midland, um, which would usually just takes a couple of days, we would then get that authorization to release the money over to the investment. Um, in the 401k world, the client would set up the account with us and then place the call to their administrator to initiate that rollover. 
Yeah, makes sense. So then do you, the way you think of it, does the investor also have an account at Midland? Is that that's how yeah. or, is that how you think of it or Yeah, so in the in the IRA if we're using what's what's most common, um the the IRA account is with Midland. Um it doesn't need to be someone's whole portfolio, so you uh, you can have a portion of your account at Schwab and just bring over whatever you want to invest into real estate to Midland, but you'd have a formal IRA account with our company Midland. Okay. Just checking. Cause that's how I remembered it, where you send in the money to invest in something, then you'd, I'd get a distribution and it would mm-hmm. go to Midland and I wouldn't, a lot of times I wouldn't move it. I'm not ready to buy a stock or something yet. And then, or I might uh, need to put it into a different real estate deal or something. Mm-hmm. And so I just, left it there. So that's, just want to make sure I was remembering that right. Yeah. So the, as money accumulates in your Midland account, um, it's the account with us is still an IRA. So you can reinvest it. You can transfer it back to, to Schwab in, in that example. You can take it as a distribution. It's, it's, or you can park it there. It's up to you. Right. And that's, yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Cause really at that point, what I was doing was I, I have one retire IRA account all within the same IRA, I guess, but it's, one account within, uh, you know, for like investing in stocks and bonds, let's say mm-hmm. at Schwab and then one for investing in everything else. That's how I at least thought of it. Yeah. You, you might have like multiple IRAs at different providers. And the reason why you'd have an account with Schwab, they specialize in offering, you know, low cost ability to invest in the market equities. And, um, and the reason why you'd have an account with Midland, um, is because we can hold everything else. Um, anything that the IRS doesn't prohibit. Great. And so I think, so what other, we kind of got into it, but what other, what can people invest in, in their, their IRA? So, uh, the list is so long of what you can invest into. The only two things that you cannot invest into are, uh, life insurance, uh, contracts, um, and things that are deemed to be collectibles. So collectibles, um, would be like uh, alcohol collections, baseball cards, art, artwork is considered a, a collectible item. Um, but everything else is a- allowable within an IRA account as long as the party that you're doing the transaction with, that you're buying from or you're leasing from, you're selling to, is not what's called a disqualified person. And disqualified persons are the account holder and his or her immediate family or um any entities that they own a controlling interest in. So for example, in real estate, one of the most common things that we get is, Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Um, I want to buy my mother's home and rent it back to her, or I want to buy a property that my child is going to use well away at college and rent that to them. Unfortunately, those would be prohibited just based on the nature of the relationship. The investment into real estate itself isn't prohibited. It's the, who would benefit from that. Download our 100-plus page passive investing guidebook today at riseinvest.com slash downloads. Accredited investors can sign up for our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website. Now back to the show. What are some of the then most, I guess, interesting or out there things you've seen people invest in? I didn't know the list was that long. I thought you were going to rattle off, like, here are the five things. <laughs> Not you could invest in anything. Well, well, I can't answer your question and tell you what are the most common things. Um, so real estate, um, just as a general asset class, but you can do real estate where, you know, you're buying an apartment and someone is paying you rent each month into your IRA account. That That's common. Um, the deals like you guys do where you're syndicating deals or you're pooling money together where you're 
IRA might be a limited partner in a bigger project. Those are common. Um, lending, where you're being a bank and loaning out of your IRA account and someone, the borrower is paying into your IRA. Um, private placements, which is anything that's privately offered, things like, uh, you know, private equity, uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, futures and Forex trading, gold, precious metals, commodities. All of those things are the most common things that we see. Some of the more off the wall ones that we've seen um, in the way and through an LLC, we've seen uh, folks invest passively into racehorses, uh, movies. Um, here locally in Chicago, I had coffee at a place this morning that is uh, passively invested into through an IRA account. Um, I had lunch on Monday at a um, at a restaurant where someone passively invested into with their IRA. Um, you and I laughed that we're both oddly wearing the same type of brand of shoe, which we have clients invested into um, early on with the shoe company. Uh, so all sorts of things people have invested into. This, yeah, that's interesting. The, the, that we're wearing the same shoes. I'm not surprised. By. These are very <laughs> versatile. Yeah. Uh, so that's, um, but we, I guess we shouldn't give away the name now, but that that's, yeah, that's interesting. Cause yeah, I just always think of everything in like a, you know, let's say a real estate context, but yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, you hear these rumors of people making investments and things and, uh, like the Yelp founder he like famously whatever units he bought at the start of the company yeah he put in his for his uh roth ira yeah and i'm sure you've heard stories yeah. like that so he basically owns his whole whole thing uh just you know with no no tax whenever he decides right. to hit the hit the yeah. sell button so yeah i mean what these accounts allow for someone to do is to truly diversify but also seize on an opportunity that you believe in so not i don't think everyone is cut out to be an expert in the stock market or they want to invest into a fortune 500 company you might meet a buddy or a friend or um, hear of a, an idea locally that you say to yourself man i want to get in early on that or i just believe in that i just feel more comfortable in driving by and seeing where my money is invested into um, versus you know whatever the winds of the market are going to do that day and that's what these accounts allow for so the variable obviously is the investment. If you invest into a company like Yelp early on, you stand to make a lot of money. Um, but even investing locally into, uh, you know, we have folks that have invested into farms that provide organic food for people. And they do that more as like a passion project than to chase returns. Um, these accounts just allow you, the, the end user, the investor to, ch to choose individually what they want to invest into. Yeah. And I mean, it's great diversification too. Yeah. You know, where you're just, otherwise you have all your money tied up in stocks and bonds. And yeah. This, this opens up the realm of what you can invest in. Yeah. Big time. It, it's true diversification. We always say is rather than investing into real estate in a REIT, you know, that's still tied to the market in, in many ways. Um, you can own a building that you can drive by, you know, so it's, it's pretty cool. Right. And so how are, what are the different ways people could invest in real estate? Let's say, cause there's within their, retirement account. Yeah. So for a little bit of context, the IRA accounts, there's a general average, uh, like account size of just above a hundred thousand dollars. So when you talk about buying, um, a home or that you're going to rent or uh, an apartment that you're going to rent, you know, that really does kind of limit what, 
you're able to invest into. So the and that's just like the average of like all IRAs, all IRAs. Or? Yeah. If you include 401ks in there, it might be a little bit higher, but just IRAs. Um, and, and a lot of that is based on, remember the contribution limit being so low. And if you didn't start when you're 17, like you did or 16, but, um, you know, there's a lot of catching up to do. Yeah. Just checking. Cause that just puts it in context. I don't know if that was a Midland thing or what that's just all IRAs yeah. nationwide. All IRAs. It's in that ballpark. It might not be exact, but it's in that ballpark. But so the most common way that people invest into real estate is through partnerships, like through an LLC where someone can invest 10, 15, $25,000 into a project. And they might be able to invest into multiple different projects at once. Again, more diversification, the better. Um, or to invest into a fund that's doing uh, different projects. So that's the most common way that we see people invest into into real estate, I'd say. And then what are the, and I, I'd like to get into, I guess, all the ways, because I know there's a lot of like things to work around if you start doing, uh, want to invest in real estate yeah. different than that. Because so I, for me personally, what I, have found and you can just add color as we go, but where, so, you know, all normally like all the deals I do, you know, I've, I'm the sponsor, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm on the loan. If there's a carve out guarantee, which means the loan's not recourse, but if some sort of, uh, acts done, like you commit fraud or don't, uh, you know, you don't use the rents to pay the mortgage or misappropriate insurance proceeds, like then it becomes a recourse loan. Mm -hmm. So like you be, a, I'm on those kind of carve outs mm -hmm. or a number of our loans are just full recourse to begin with to yeah. me individually, where if there's any, any non-repayment of interest or principal, then it's, you know, recourse to me personally. Mm -hmm. And I'm also the decision maker on the entity buying it. I'm the manager. Mm -hmm. And so what I had, had learned with investing in retirement accounts is, you can't be, um, you can't be on the loan in any capacity individually, right. even on non-recourse carve-outs. So, you know that that limits a bit what you could do. So then, what was the easiest for me is I I had a friend who went to UW Madison with me, and he was doing some really nice deals around Chicago and taking dollar amounts that like I had, where not every real estate sponsor is going to take fifteen thousand dollars from someone yeah. they might have a hundred thousand dollar minimum mm -hmm. which then to your point that could be someone's entire retirement account which yeah. and that's probably that's not smart either put yeah. all your money in one deal yeah so then and yeah definitely not if it's all your yeah. entire, <laughs> your retirement account so yeah that um so i, I you know have uh but i know people they they are able to work around that you know obviously the easiest way would be you buy a property all cash mm -hmm. now there's no debt involved how would someone, if they wanted to buy a property on their own in their retirement account, do it? Yeah. So, uh, the, the thing that you touched on that makes it difficult and is often confused in our industry is that, all right, great. I got, um, $50,000 in my IRA account. I'm going to put 20% down and then I'll leverage the rest. Unfortunately, there's a IRS restriction that, uh, um, doesn't allow one of those disqualified persons, which is the account holder um, in this case, to sign a personal guarantee on a loan. So it has to be a special specialized loan, uh, that's a non-recourse loan, to where it's the IRA that's taking on the debt, and then the rents that accumulate off of that property are used to pay for it. And the uh, lending criteria can be pretty stringent, or and not as 20% down, and everything will take care of its own. So it, it really limits most of the properties that I've experienced in my 12 years, um, at Midland, um, 
have all been cash deals, whether it's cash deal where I have all of the money in my IRA account. So I'm buying a property that's uh, $200,000, but I have enough to cover that. Um, or it's cash deals and that like you and I can go together and, uh, you can use an IRA and I can use cash and together we're buying this property cash. Uh, those are the most common ways that we see it. And then one of the things too, just administratively keep in mind, uh, when you own real estate inside your IRA account, any expenses related to that property and any proceeds for the investment have to come in and out of the IRA account. So when that tax bill comes due, it's actually your administrator that pays that out of your account balance versus you stroking the check from your personal account. Right. And which, which tax bill are you talking about? Property taxes, okay. I should say. Yeah. Just, just checking because yeah. one, one thing to dimension and is in the difference where now we're getting real in the weeds here, but it's, mm -hmm. it's worth mentioning because it came up for me trying to do this. Yeah. And this would be a good time for a disclaimer too. neither of us are yeah. CPAs, or at least I'm not, I don't think you are. No, I'm so, not. uh, you know, definitely check with your CPA on anything we're saying here and, uh, and an, an attorney too. And feel free. We got a basically like a minute long disclaimer at the end of the podcast <laughs> to make sure, make sure you listen to the entirety yeah. of that. And, but so there's this thing called UBIT. So unrelated business income tax. Mm -hmm. And so my understanding how that works is in a, in a IRA, it applies in a 401k, it does not. Mm -hmm. And this, this comes into play, uh, with, different different charities i've is my understanding or not like uh um, when they invest in things if they're a uh, tax exempt entity and then that it also similar treatment with retirement accounts yep. so what happens is if you invest in a deal let's say with your ira and there's leverage on that so a real estate deal and it's 50 percent down and 50 percent you but you borrow from a bank mm -hmm. um let's say you're just again you're investing in the deal but someone else is on the loan because there's this loan, the way the IRS treats that is really like 50% of that uh, income that's related to the, the debt. Mm -hmm. And so there was some term for that where it's um, it, it was like not business income anymore. It was like debt related. Yeah. So the, the specifics on that, I don't remember the terminology, but to keep it simple, it's like you would end up owing taxes on half of your your gain or operating income because that that deal was 50% leveraged. Yeah. The, um in a real simplified viewpoint, that's how it works. So if you take the person that is going to buy a property in their IRA account and does get the loan, um, if they were to leverage it at 50%, then 50% of their earnings in a very simplistic view, um, after they've exceeded a thousand dollars for a year, um, could be taxable under, um, unrelated debt financed income, which is the tax, that's real similar to, um, UBIT or UBIT, uh, unrelated business income tax. So that's one of the things that in addition to just finding a loan provider that would give you that type of loan, um, is challenging. It also discourages that type of investment. The, the IRS is, it, it, it somewhat makes sense because you're allowed to make returns based on the equity or the money that you put into the deal. But the returns that are attributable to another source or that the bank gave you um, is going to be taxed at this rate. So, and it's that tax is paid for out of the IRA account again. That's yeah. the expense of the IRA. And then at that point, there is like a tax form to fill out. Correct. So that's the only time I've saw where an IRA personally need to 
file anything. Correct. And and I mentioned real early on the podcast um, that there was some tax advantages to doing deals, um, real estate deals in a 401k as opposed to an IRA account. And this is it. Um, if you the unrelated debt financed income tax is uh, not applicable for these types of deals inside of a 401k. So if you did the same deal in a 401k versus an IRA account, again, just generalization, simplistic here, it would be um, it wouldn't be subject to that tax. Right. And so that's that was part of my motivation to open up my soul yeah. 401k was to get to to not have to deal with this um, and then and not. Uh, you know, but I, I did a 401k Roth. I really like the, you know, you, you put in earned income and then you have no, no tax Yeah, the whole rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, individual 401ks are great plans. Um, I hesitate to oversell them because not everyone is self-employed and yeah. able to get into one. So, um, but they do offer higher contribution limits. You can put up over $50,000 into one of those. Um, you can put in Roth money. Um, up to eighteen thousand dollars, or think I think it is. Um, you can just put a lot of money in there. You can take a loan from it, and then this tax advantage is is great. Yeah, and I think in too right. If you are in, if you're and you could you could get to the same place pretty much, I guess. Where if, if I keep bringing up the self employment, yeah, four hundred one k, yeah. So we should not have that as the shining <laughs> example, maybe. But yeah, that's uh, well, nice. But what you haven't had any any clients where they bought a property solely and financed it has anyone found a lender who would do it where i mean i would think your ira would have to have serious money in it if it could stand on its own to uh get a loan approved too potentially yeah i mean i i we have had clients and we do have providers um that provide those types of loans and uh that specialize in it it's just not as common um Typically, if I were, I hate to speak for the banks, but just this is a complete generalization of what they're looking for is usually it's about 40 percent down. But they also require cash reserves in the account and the and the chance that you don't rent your property or it goes um, unrented for a long time. They want to assure themselves that you can pay the rent. Uh, again, reminder that the the mortgage is paid out of the account. So. If you have no money in the account, you can only contribute six or seven thousand dollars or whatever your earned income is. You can really find yourself in a bind. So there's more lending criteria. Um, unfortunately, two of the biggest um, providers won't lend to Cook County, so that's why I have limited experience um, with them. But nationwide, they're a little bit more open. What What are the rates like? Did you ever hear? Are they a little? The interest rates are a little higher. It's or? a little bit higher than what you would expect on a on a standard rate. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Okay, nice. Yeah, that's why I found it easiest just to invest in the other person's deal and just keep it simple. Then they're the they're on the loan and you just get your real estate exposure. Yeah, IRAs really um, are meant for passive investments. They're meant for projects that you are not managing that someone else is, um, but you're along for the ride, so to speak. Um, the other, uh, you, there's two instances where the IRAs can be taxed um, under the unrelated business income tax. One is the leveraging, but the other is when you're investing into an operating business. So um, if you're investing passively, um, there's ways to invest passively, but oftentimes we'll get people that want to buy franchises or or invest into their own operating business. And they're, 
that can be met with with red tape or or potential tax um, consequences for doing so. Interesting, because then how uh, maybe just get into that a, a little more. What are we? What 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 do you owe tax on then? Um, you would owe taxes based on your earnings. Uh, like so, for example, like if uh, I set up a toy store and you set up a toy store and we're right across the street from one another, we're we're uh, competitors with one another, but I own mine in a Roth, so I don't pay taxes and an LLC in a Roth, I don't pay taxes and, and you don't, it would be a competitive advantage. So it's meant to dissuade that type of thing from happening. Oh, got it. So then it's really all the earnings from that type of investment. It could, that would, it could be subject to taxes. Yep. Okay. Got it. Cause that with the real estate part, it's just the debt part. So I was yeah. like, what, what part are we attributing? But it's all of it. Right. Yeah. And again, like I know that you're going to put a disclaimer on here and a, an accountant that is um, knowledgeable about this space could certainly guide someone and structure it best for them so that they can avoid these. Um, these are all just like general, just basic examples. Like we're in a first grade maybe even kindergarten yeah when we get into this <laughs> yeah i right where you yeah there's definitely you get uh you know you can get a lot of hand holding yeah. explanation from your but own. for most investments if someone's just setting up an account to um self-direct their account a lot of these complexities don't even come into play um you certainly would want to run any investment through your tax preparer or account i should say um but yeah the when you start talking about investing into an operating business and that sort of thing, you can kind of get into the weeds. Yeah. All right. Nice. Well, yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's plenty on this. I mean, what other thoughts, things you want to mention or, um, I would just say that, you know, with if our company, I would say that our, our, uh, our goal is to help people look back on the experience once they're invested and say, and that's easier than I thought it was going to be. And I think the way in which we do that is uh, we have real people working on your account. Um, you're typically calling and speaking to the same person um, throughout the life of, of your deal or your account. Um, and then also through our technology, uh, we utilize technology and electronic signatures and as best we can and really just put um, not much of a time burden on the client to do it. So. Yeah, my recollection was, I mean, you're, are you still doing it where you're emailing with your advisor or there's not, yeah, there's not, cause the thing is like at, let's say at a brokerage account, people be used to like at Schwab or something, you're, you're calling like a 1-800 number and you're going if in your account to like the message center to get in touch with them. This was like a real person with a phone number in an email. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's our goal. Um, and we've grown significantly, um, over the years and but we, that's always been one of the things that we've prioritized and, and tried our best to make sure that it was the same person or the same team that was working on your account and that's not right for everyone i mean uh when you when you have a, a structure like that your business hours are usually like more eight to five type of thing so if you're trying to reach customer service in the middle of the night it's hard to get, you know, you wouldn't get someone until the next morning, um, or you might call someone and they're on the other line. Um, so it, that there can be, we feel like the, um, the benefit far outweighs the negative, um, with that, but that is what our company tries to differentiate ourselves, not a 1-800 number where you sit on hold for 15 minutes and then you, your luck of the draw, you can get someone that is an expert or someone that just started on Monday, you know? So that's, 
a little bit different with our company. Yeah, that was my experience as well. So yeah. it, was, it was a lot, a lot easier than mo- than most things I've done. Yeah. So great. Well, yeah. Well, thanks for being on. I mean, good job yeah. running through everything. How can people get in touch with with you or Midland so they want to do this? Yeah, they can um, find us at midlandtrust.com. Uh, they can uh, reach me. My contact information is just my first initial D and my last name Hanlon H A N L O N at midlandtrust.com. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. Right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us on the Rise and Invest podcast. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. If you'd like to dive even deeper into real estate investing, check out our company's website, riseinvest.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook, our trends report, and our blog are all available on our website. If you are an accredited investor, you can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Rise Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries. The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities and the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.